Well, good morning, everyone. I am so glad that you're joining with us here for Easter, the day that changed every other day 2,000 years ago. And today we want to explore what does Easter mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time? What does it mean for those of us who aren't sure about Jesus or don't even know where we fit with Jesus? That's what I want to explore here today because here is what we as Christians affirm. We affirm that resurrection not only happened 2,000 years ago, we affirm that resurrection is even still happening. Does anyone want to say amen to that. The resurrection is still happening. That as Paul puts it, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and dwells in me. And so today, today, what I want to explore is what I think we all need, a personal encounter and experience and even transformation with the resurrection power of the risen King Jesus himself. Because I don't know about you, But when I look over the past year, in so many ways, it has been so difficult. There's been so much anger, hate, division, injustice. And so I want to talk about how Jesus comes into a world full of injustice and how Easter literally changes every single aspect. And so to do that, to do that today, we're going to be looking at the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark 16. Now, What you need to know about the book of Mark is that Mark, Mark is fast-paced, Mark is punchy, Mark is political and subversive, he is disruptive and even disorientating. Mark's gospel is in many ways uh, often what we don't expect. And so today we're going to be taking a look at the women's interaction with uh, an angel at the end of Mark and the resurrection story. But just fair warning for us all before we jump into this, that Mark's gospel of the resurrection, Mark's sharing of the resurrection, might be a little bit different than you remember. So let's jump into this today and read and take a look at how it might affect each and every one of us. So we read this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And then very early on the Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us uh, from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said to them, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Then we read this. And then the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Let me read that last sentence again. It says this, And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And that is where Mark's gospel ends. That's his resurrection story. That's the end of it. Some of you might be like, that doesn't seem quite like a regular gospel ending. As I said, this isn't quite like what we often remember. Because notice with me, in Mark's gospel, in the end of his story, there is no personal encounter with Jesus. There is no conversation with Jesus. There's not even a sighting of the resurrected and risen Lord of Jesus. Like if this was a movie and the screen faded out to black at this moment, you'd all be like, I don't know, like something's missing. Like, is that the end of it, right? Many of us, I think, might be having the same sort of reaction, just feeling like Mark's gospel, ending with fear, bewilderment, trembling, and silence, that this isn't the right way to end. There should be triumph. There should be proclamation. There should at least be Jesus. And maybe you're feeling a little bit of that as well. Maybe you're having that reaction to Mark's gospel, saying, hey, hey, there should be more to this. 
And if you have that reaction, you're actually in good company, actually. Because the early Christians, when they read Mark's gospel as well, they thought, you know what, something's missing. So they actually added to his story. This is why in your Bibles, if you go and look at them, there's likely two extra endings in the book of Mark. They're actually called unimaginatively the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark. And both were added after the original manuscripts. And your Bible really likely has a note about this. But today, I want to take a look at why does Mark choose to end his story with this verse, where he says, And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. I want to take a look at what does this mean? Why does Mark end his story there? Why does this moment uh, pause there? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? And most of all, how does that one last verse really change everything? Well, to understand it, uh, we need to understand a little bit about categories and frames of reference. Because this is just true psychologically. That each and every one of us, we all have categories that we place things in. Categories to help us to understand the various different uh, experiences we have. And actually the vast amount of information that we parse every single day of every single moment. That if we didn't have categories to kind of place things in, this maybe shorthand or short circuit kind of spaces, what would end up happening is we would become overwhelmed by the vast amount of information all around us. We would end up probably freezing or being confused or spending so much time processing. So we end up creating these categories, frames of reference or schemas for how our world works. This is natural and this is normal. But what sometimes happens though, what sometimes happens is we have an experience that is so different, so unexpected that it actually bursts our categories, that it just doesn't fit with what we have known previously. And when this happens, when this happens, it can take time to process. It can be really um, unsettling and disorientating. I wanna give you an example of this uh, that happened to me. While I was on vacation at one point, I got a text from someone that I was journeying with. And I wanna read it to you exactly as I got it because I saved it. And this is not the kind of text that I would normally get. Okay. Uh, this person texts me and says this. I've had a lot of terrible things happen lately. Since Thursday, my grandma had a heart attack. I got stabbed four times by my brother. He's though in jail, not by my choice. I lost my job because of my injuries. I'm kind of an emotional wreck. Can we all disagree? If that happened to you, you would also be kind of an emotional wreck, correct? When I got this text, I have to be honest that I had no idea how to respond. This is not like the normal text I get. I've never been texted before that I've been stabbed, right? That someone had been stabbed. This is not what I was used to dealing with. So when this happens, it be, actually caused me to be like, I have no idea what the appropriate protocol is in this situation. How do you respond when you get a text like this? My first honest go-to response, because we can be honest in church, my first honest go-to response was that I should probably give my number out to less people. That's what I thought. Because it was just so weird, so unfamiliar. I had no idea how to process it. And that's sort of what's going on actually here in this moment with uh, Mark and the women. That what they experience is so outside of their categories, so outside of their frames of reference, that what they need is like time to process it. So with this understanding of categories, of frames of reference, and how when they burst, we need time to process it, let's dive back into the story a little bit, noticing a few other details as we go. So we read this. That when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And when we read in that passage, when it says that the women were shocked, that's correct. But it's actually a little bit more of a stronger word than that. In Greek, the word is ekmenthembeo. And what it literally means is to throw into terror or amazement, it's to alarm thoroughly, it's to be thoroughly astounded and amazed, it means to be struck with terror. 
that when the women go into this tomb and when they see the angel there, that they had no category able for them to actually process this experience. It overwhelmed every single thing. They were shocked, or as the KGV puts it, and I love this word, it says that they were affrighted. That's what they were feeling because they had no frame of reference for this. Remember, the women are showing up early on the Sunday morning to anoint a dead man. That's what they were expecting. And instead, what do they see? What do they experience? They experience an angel of the Lord telling them the most amazing and unexpected news ever, that Jesus is not dead, that he is not dead, he is not here, he is risen. That's what they, that's what they hear. And the angel says something that honestly, in many ways, it's a little bit unrealistic because the angel says to them, first off, don't be shocked, don't be alarmed, don't be afraided. But honestly, there is no way they could have that experience of not being shocked. Who wouldn't be? Because as they show up, they are looking for Jesus. The angel makes it clear, too, that they're at the right place. He says that this is the tomb, but Jesus is not here. And so the women are filled with fright. The women are filled with fear. They're actually trembling. And so uh, the angel continues, and he gives them a few more instructions. He says, uh, Jesus isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He says, look, this is where they laid his body. Like they're making sure that this is the space where Jesus was. Now he says, go tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before. And I think we have to just recognize how shocking, how unexpected, how category bursting this moment would have been. Because when we're talking about the resurrection of the dead, we are not talking about the recitation of a body that's close to death. We're not talking about healing somebody who is sick. We are talking about a body that has been dead and buried for three days. Right, a heart that has stopped beating and is atrophied. We're talking about muscles and sinews and an entire body that has just stopped uh, breathing and having any life within it whatsoever, that this body gets new life and new breath breathed into it and is arisen from the dead. This is something that the women had no category for. This is something that totally shocked them. And the angel tells them to go and to tell the other disciples, to go find the ones who are hiding and go let them know what is happening. But notice with me in this text, that notice with me so far in Mark's account, so far there is no encounter with Jesus, just a promise of encountering him later. That's all they have so far. Not an actual experience and encounter with Jesus, just a promise of encountering him later. And Mark's gospel ends with these words, where it says, and the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And the text just ends. Before we go much further, we have to clear up something um, about what, how we could be misinterpreting this passage. That because we live in a patriarchal, male-dominated world, we can easily be reading those things wrongly into this passage. That when we read Mark's comment on the women, we can be reading this as Mark's comment on the frailty or the faith of the women. But I want to be just really, really absolutely crystal clear with something. That when Mark says that the women are frightened, bewildered, full of terror, and silent, this is not a comment on the faith of the women, that they are frail and somehow unable to have strong faith. What Mark is doing here instead is just saying this, that even the strongest followers of Jesus have no ability to comprehend and process what is happening. That's what he's, that's what he's doing in this moment. That what he's doing is really reminding us that the strongest, those of the strongest faith, actually are caused to have real difficulties processing what is going on. Because you might not realize this, but in the Gospel of Mark, actually, the people with the strongest faith are not the disciples. The people with the strongest faith are actually the women. The disciples throughout the book of Mark, they're actually portrayed as actually in many ways being quite dense, of being unable to really figure things out, of actually being filled with doubt in multiple times and places. We see this throughout the book of Mark. In Mark 6, we read uh, that the disciples, Jesus says, the disciples are too hard and unperceiving to understand what he's doing. 
and Mark 8 in the span of just a few verses, Jesus says twice, don't you understand what's going on? Don't you get it yet? Or in Mark 9, when the disciples don't understand what's going on, this is their reaction. It says they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. However, they were too afraid to ask him what he meant. So the disciples in the book of Mark are actually meant to mirror our journey. What we see within them is oftentimes a lot of bravado, but it's misplaced. We often see a lot of doubt and difficulty. This is meant to mirror our own discipleship journey. But the women in the book of Mark, the women have this faith that is like so strong and amazing. And we see this in multiple places. I'll just show you two, specifically in Mark 15 and 16. So Mark 15, we read this about when Jesus was killed. It says, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. And some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and the younger and Joseph and Salome. And they had been followers of Jesus and they cared for him while he was in Galilee. This is pretty much the most positive statement about any of the followers of Jesus in the book of Mark. And Mark um, gives this positive statement to the women. And then what do we read uh, already? Just the very next day, we read that Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way there, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone from, uh, for us from the entrance to the tomb? So I just want to notice something. That while the men are hiding, that while the disciples are in the space of despair and doubt, that while the disciples are really unwilling to do anything, what do the women do? They get up early, they get ready, and they go to Jesus to care for him in death as they had cared for him in life. The women, even as they're walking, they're discussing and saying, who will roll away the tomb? But notice with me, they don't really worry about that because they figure that their faith and trust in Jesus is so big that they will work it out when they get there. These women are not women of minor faith. These women are the strongest faith-filled people that we have in the Gospel of Mark. And so when the Gospel of Mark ends with this phrase saying, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is not a comment on the strength of the women. This is not a comment on the faith of the women. This instead is a comment on what happens when your categories crumble. When you experience something that is so big, so remarkable, so life-changing that you actually need to take space to process it. This is a comment on how when everything changes, you need a little bit of time to regain your balance in a new world. Now, these kind of experiences, these kind of category bursting experiences, they can happen to our lives in positive and in negative ways, but both require us to take some time to process it, to internalize it. I'll give you a few examples of how they can happen. For me, um, this has happened in a positive way, actually, with my relationship with Krista, who's my wife. Right? Uh, when Krista and I were growing up, we were best friends uh, throughout high school. I've shared this before, but in high school, I wasn't really a good person to date. I wasn't making very good choices. So I would constantly tell Krista that I loved her and wanted to date with her, um, but she constantly rightfully turned me down because I wasn't really worth dating at that point, ready to kind of invest in because my life wasn't headed in the right direction. But there became a, mo a moment and a time where I kind of turned things around. And all of a sudden, uh, things kind of shifted in our relationship. And there was this one moment, I can remember it like vividly. We were sitting in our house and I reach over to Krista and I hold her hand and I tell her, probably for like the, most, like the dozenth time, I tell her that I love her. But this time I tell her, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna show this, I'm gonna prove this over time. And I'm gonna wait for as long as it takes for you to realize um, that we're meant to be together because I love you that much. And she's holding my hand and she looks up at me and she says to me, I think I'm falling for you too. The first time she had ever really even opened herself up to maybe even having any feelings for me whatsoever. And like our eyes are kind of locked in on one another. And if this was in the movies, what would happen is, you know, we would kiss and be together forever and ever. But you want to know what actually happened? The moment that Krista said that, I think I'm falling for you. You want to know what she did? She screamed, got up and ran out of the house and ran down the street. Okay? 
I'm not even making this up, that this is literally what she did. She says, I think I'm falling for you, and then screams and runs out of the house. Because the reason for this was, for her, this idea that she might actually fall for her best friend, this would change everything. It was just too much to handle. She needed time and space to process it and left me wondering what had gone on and what had gone wrong. So sometimes, even in positive things, you need this time and space to process. It can also happen in negative things. I can remember the time where I found out that my dad had cancer again for the second time. This would be kind of the beginning of the end of that long journey that we had had. And I found out while I was at work with my dad. And so I'm sitting in his office as he's telling me. And I immediately then decide I need to call Kristen, ask her to come home so we can talk about this. She was at work. So I call uh, her work and I get put through to her. And as I'm on the phone with her, I'm trying to tell her about what's going on. But like, I just can't get anything out actually. I'm just crying and I'm completely silent. Like I can't say anything. So my dad being who my dad always was, gracious and calm, even under the most difficult circumstances, he takes the phone and he says to Krista, Krista, we've had some really bad health news and Andrew just needs you at home right now, can you come? And the reason, the reason that I didn't share with Krista wasn't going on, wasn't because the news didn't matter, wasn't because I didn't want Krista to know, it was because it was so hard for me to understand that the categories I lived with, with my dad being here with me for a long time, were about to be burst and shattered and that they were disrupted. Because when you experience something that is so disruptive, so new, that it takes all of your categories and it shapes them and changes them and re-examines them, when this happens, you need time to process. You need a moment to internalize it. You can't sometimes even speak. So when the Gospels, when the Gospel of Mark says that the women were so filled with fear and bewilderment and silent, it is because, it is because this experience with a risen Lord, this experience with an angel that says, Jesus is not dead, he is alive, this moment bursts and changes everything. That there is no category you can have. There is no category you can have that can prepare you for the amazing majesty and world-changing reality of Easter. There's no schema you can have that can actually encounter and encapsulate the reality of when the angel says, he is not dead, he is not here. The reason that the women ran home and they fled and they were in terror and fear and silence is because this moment changes everything. And that's actually where we began. We began with saying that Easter changes everything. And I believe rightfully understood, Easter does change everything. That in our day and age, here's how our world works. Here are the categories that we have. We believe and we feel that the death is permanent. We believe that injustice, evil, and uh, all these sort of things continue to reign and will win all the time. But these are not the categories of Easter. Actually, for Easter, what we know is that death does not win. Jesus wins. Life wins. What we know is that injustice doesn't win, but instead, Jesus and his kingdom win. This is what we know. But this is so hard to internalize and to know. That is why the women, uh, it says, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Because what have the women just experienced? The women have just experienced the most unjust thing that has ever happened. Right? They have just seen the perfect, sinless Son of God killed and crucified. What the women have just experienced is actually how power, empire, and collude, and they make sure that they oppress the weakest. What they have just experienced is how the powers of sin, death, and the law, they encapsulate all of us, even good and innocent Jesus. This is what they have just experienced. So if you ask the women what they know to be true as they're walking towards the tomb, what they would say likely is that they know that evil wins, that they know that death wins, that they know that sin and corruption and injustice win. But when they reach the tomb, what they find out is that everything has changed. 
that because Jesus is alive and risen, that because he has conquered the powers of sin, death, and evil, everything has changed in their lives. This is why they need to take some time. This is why I actually love Mark's ending of the gospel. And if I had my way, you know, there would be no other ending to it. Where he says, and the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This, this is the appropriate response when you encounter the life-changing, world-changing, reality-breaking reality of Easter. This is what we should do. This is the right response, that we need to take time to process it because literally everything changes in light of it. So today, today, what is my main point? Today, my main point is just this, that Easter changes everything. That resurrection changes everything. The risen King Jesus changes everything. Because in our day and age, what we have learned so often in our world, when we look around us and we see the dumpster fires around us of sin, hate, racism, abuse, evil, all of this, we think that this stuff wins. But what Jesus reminds us of is that death does not win. Injustice does not win. Evil does not win. Because he is Lord and he is risen. This is what we affirm at Easter, this amazing, life-changing good news and truth. This is the good news of Easter. But there's also a challenge to Easter. There's also a disrupting or even apocalyptic kind of uh, orientation towards Easter. And that's this, that we get to choose how we would respond to it. That we get to choose how we would respond to Jesus' resurrection. We get to choose whether we will live in light of Easter and the resurrection or the realities of the world around us. And I actually think that this is what the women are struggling with when they run and they are full of fear and bewilderment. What they are doing in this moment is that they are choosing how they are going to live. They're choosing how they're going to respond. They're choosing whether they will live in light of Easter, resurrection, and Jesus, or whether they will instead live in light of the realities of sin, power, and evil around them. The women are making a choice by how they will respond. Because this is just true for each and every one of us, that when, that when we have a category-bursting experience, that we can choose either to live into it, to let it disrupt us, to let it disorient us, to let it transform us, or we can also choose to avoid it, to deny it, to hide from it, or to ignore it. This is the choice before the women as well. And so today, I want to remind you that we have a responsibility and a response to Easter. That we can choose to live in light of it, or we can choose to ignore it and to hide from it. And I am so grateful for the fact that the women actually did not choose to hide from it or to ignore it. Because what do we read in the text? We read that the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. But can we just be honest with this? That is not the ending of the gospel, is it? Right? We know that the women did not remain in that space. And why do we know this? Well, it's obvious. Because we have their story. We have their story. We have their uh, interactions. We have their witness and their testimony that the women actually in this passage chose to let Easter shape them and to change them so much that they lived in light of the good news and then they went on and they shared the good news. The very fact that we can read of their testimony means that the women did not stay in a space of silence, in a space of fear or bewilderment. What it means is that the women chose to live their life in light of Easter and the resurrection and to share the good news of Easter and the resurrection with those around them. And today, I have the same challenge for you. I want to challenge you to be like the women, to actually reorient your entire life around Easter, resurrection, and the risen King Jesus. And so today, my challenge is just this for you. Would you? Would you live in light of Easter? And then would you also share the good news of Easter? 
That's what I want to invite you into. Would you live in light of Easter, and would you share the good news of Easter? Because that's actually what we see in the women's life, that they choose to live their life in light of Easter, and that they go on and they share the story of Jesus because we are reading it. So today, practically, what does this mean? I want to invite you into two things. That first, if you want to live in light of Easter, what this means is, is you need to choose to follow Jesus. Honestly, honestly, Easter doesn't leave us with a response of staying neutral or staying put. That we either choose to live in light of the amazing good news and proclamation that Jesus is alive, that he is true, that he is here, that he's for you and he is for me. We can choose to live in light of this or we don't. And so I want to, I want to invite you to really choose to follow Jesus. That whether you've been following Jesus for decades or you will make that choice for the first time today, this is the first way that we start to live in light of Easter. I want to challenge you to actually choose to follow this risen King and risen Lord and risen Savior. And if today you're making that choice for the first time, please let us know. Because what we know from this story, from this gospel, is that good stories deserve to be shared. That's what the women did, and that's what we are called to do as well. So the first thing I want to invite you into is to choose to follow Jesus. The second thing I want to invite you into is to actually choose to share the good news of Easter. That's what these women do. They do not stay in the space of fear and bewilderment and fright. Instead, they let their world burst and they have this category changing experience. And then they go out and they share the good news with the disciples and all the rest of the world. We know this because we have their story. And I want to invite you into the same thing. That I think at Easter, that I think at Easter, anyone want to say amen to this? That we should share the good news with people. Amen? That at Easter, we should share the good news of Christ with people. At Easter, we should share the good news of what Jesus has done in your life and in mine with those around us. I think this is our challenge. But I want to be really clear with this, that when I'm saying and inviting you to share the good news of people, I'm not talking about cornering people into giving them an unsuspecting sales pitch for Jesus. Like, my gosh, like that is like ruining the majesty of Easter. I'm also not talking about randomly telling people that they are sinners and broken because the good news of Jesus isn't about us. It's about what he has done. What I'm inviting you into is would you be willing to share the good news with some of those around you? Maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe a neighbor. And the good news of Jesus is this, that Jesus is for us and not against us. That Jesus purchased our freedom even when we didn't know it. That Jesus is true. And so that means that we can hold on to hope that death, evil, injustice, none of these things truly win. That Jesus has conquered them all. And that Jesus' death and resurrection, it includes you and me into what he is doing. And he's inviting us into his life, inviting us to live life in light of him. That Easter truly changes everything. So today, today, what is my main point? My main point is really simple, that Easter changes everything. That resurrection changes everything. That the risen King Jesus changes everything. And what we see in this story is uh, women who actually become the most amazing proclaimers and preachers and the original evangelists of the gospel and the good news. That they actually let this truth of Easter impact them and shape them and they go out and they share it. And I want to invite you to do the same thing. I invite you to respond to Easter in the same way. Would you choose to live your life in light of Easter by following Jesus and then choose to actually share the good news of Jesus with those around you? Because if Jesus has truly risen, and I believe it is, he has, then what this means is that death, evil, sin, and injustice don't win, and that this is truly good news that needs to be shared. And that's what I want to invite you into uh, this week. So with that, would you join with me in prayer today? Dear God, I just pray, might we totally orient our entire lives under Easter and resurrection and your uh, kingship, Lord. I pray, Lord, would we be able to truly live our lives following you? Would we submit and would we follow? But then also, Lord, would we have an excitement and a passion to share your good news? The fact that, Lord, you are true, you are alive, and you include us in what you are doing. Would we have a willingness to be like the women in this story, to orient our lives around Easter and to share the good news of, those, um, the good news of you with those around us? I just pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.